I can certainly name off the top of my head the targets that I would have in my area, in my realm that I might target as opportunities. Now, I, uh, the latest deal that we did, which is we closed it just a year ago, we're actually coming up on a one-year anniversary of acquiring the company that we've consolidated all our operations into. But that was a vision knowing that that was a, a place that was perhaps underperforming in a really large facility. So I could envision that as I could add value acquire the company that could do more, but also as a place to bring our other operations and become more powerful. From Graceta Partners, this is Durable Value, an investor's podcast, where hosts Joe Miratori and Ryan Suela demystify commercial real estate with safe, sound investment strategies to help you balance your portfolio. Casey, thanks for being uh, with us today. I've known you for a few years and it's, uh, it's wonderful to get to spend some time with you and to uh, interview you. Uh, you've built an amazing business. I, uh, I had to write it down. There's so many companies. It's Delta Web Printing, River City Printers, Paul Baker Printing, Citra Communications, Metro Mailing Services. Um, tell, us, tell us about your business. What, tell us about this uh, enterprise you've built. Well, thanks, Joe. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Um, well, I've been in printing all my life, so uh, that's, uh, that's a wasted life, if you will. But I've been at this industry, in this industry, from, uh, from literally the ground up, doing uh, everything in a printing company since I was a, a teenager. Um, so it's, it's been an incremental growth, but I've really only been a, a business owner for the last uh, dozen years. And uh, you, you were naming off all those companies, those of kind of accumulated over time. First one, Delta Web Printing, started with a, a, a second mortgage and a sweat equity deal uh, at a company in West Sacramento, and then we grew that up a bit and bought out the founding partner uh, with uh, my partner with a, with a $2.5 million loan from the SBA, and uh, some foolish bank signed off on that and allowed these two shallow-pocketed uh, printers to take over this operation, and that was in. Uh, so I'd originally come into that company in 2008, as I like to say, April Fool's Day, 2008. Uh, shrewd time to go into business, um, and grew that through the recession. Uh, then we acquired another company, River City Printers, and brought in another partner who bought that out with a slightly different deal, an asset purchase. Uh, then we brought out, rolled up another company called Paul Baker Printing, in, in nearby in Roseville, here in the in the Sacramento area. And uh, bought that company, but it had a, a good mix of equipment that complemented ours, uh, the previous companies. Then we started Citra Communications a, a couple of years later as a digital spinoff. Um, mm-hmm. And then just last year, we bought Metro Mail, which is a large company here in the Sacramento area that had uh, a more complement to what we'd been doing in the printing side. This was more focused on mailing. And uh, in a in a large building, so we've been able to, over the last year, bring all of these different operations throughout the area into one facility. So that's really been uh, a long time coming. It's almost like a 10 or 12 year overnight success story to accumulate all these pieces into one operation. And uh, we've really just put the finishing, been putting the finishing touches on that in the last uh, last month and a half. So it's it's been a big 
big lift uh, to can get you, to Can you give us some stats? How, how many employees? Sure. How, how big gro- gross revenue? I, I don't know what you're going to share, but just put us in the ballpark of the size of your operation. I know you're a pretty humble guy. Sure. I've known you for a few years. I, I've toured you, your you plant. You know I'll sandbag through all this. I know you saying. will, and yeah. I'm going to push it out of you. I've, I've been to your plant. I, I, so we, we I'm have really a, impressed. We <laughs> have about... Uh, Probably about 175 employees. Yep. We'll do close to $40 million in revenue this year. And I would say uh, in the Sacramento and maybe even in Northern California, we would be, we'd be, the bi- we'd be the, bi- I like to say we're the biggest printer. I like to tell folks that I come in and interview them for perspective, whether in production or sales, that you'll all come and work for us eventually anyway. So you might as well come aboard now. So it's, we've been able to roll up and, and grow in, a, in an industry that, that is contracting. I, I, I sometimes joke that uh, owning big printing company is like perhaps like owning all the blockbuster video store, stores in Modesto. You, uh, you, there might be a ceiling, but we're all in. Have and, you considered uh, uh, going into the phone book business? We, no, we haven't quite. We've moved away from that, perhaps. <laughs> but uh, there, there's still a lot of what we do. There's still a lot of printing going on, and uh, I kind of look at it that there's a bit of a moat around printing. My business. It's not. Uh, if uh, Joe and Ryan sell to a family, sell a building and they make a few million dollars on the sale of some property, they're not thinking, well, now's my chance to go into printing, right? So there are not new people coming into my industry. So the people I'm competing against, the businesses I'm competing against, those are the companies that will be here. I don't have to worry about new competitors coming in. So as long as I know my marketplace, I know what type of business I'm pursuing, I know who I'm competing against, it's a bit of a of a finite field that I'm operating in. So mm-hmm. I know what our strengths are. I know what possible weaknesses we have. I know what strengths and weaknesses of some of my competitors. So that gives me uh, a clearer view of the field. You're in the commercial real estate business. I'm lot, pretty, lot sure, of pretty play- sure I'm interviewing you. A <laughs> lot of players in that space. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we benefit from perhaps being in a, in a business that not a lot of people want to be in. But we have a lot of uh, expertise and that's, that's kind of our secret sauce. Of being able to so who, who do you print for? Uh, not client names, but rather what sort of industries you print for? How, do you have any idea how many millions of pieces a year of things you print? We, we do millions of pieces. We print wide range. And some of this is because we've acquired these companies over time. Each of them has a different specialty and a different mix of what they do. So I'm printing for Safeway and Albertsons. I'm printing for... Uh, political campaigns. I'm printing for the state of California. I'm printing for health insurance companies. I'm printing for hearing aid marketing companies. It's a wide range. And uh, through the coronavirus impact, that's been a strength of ours. While marketing-related printing has really frozen up, we've been able to have enough institutional clients to keep all of our people working, keep our operations going, and take advantage of some slowdown period to uh, consolidate and strengthen and build our infrastructure even even greater. So the plans that we had made that we were going to execute over the next year, mm-hmm. we've been able to accelerate them into a, mm-hmm. a three-month window that we maybe wouldn't have done if things had kind of been a bit more normal. So some of that is having the flexibility to take advantage, enough of a personal and and uh, corporate balance sheet that we can, we're not heavily leveraged every, we're not heavily leveraged, so we're able to take advantage of things that maybe other people in my industry aren't quite able to do or aren't willing to do. So that's kind of been our, our advantage is that a bit of aggressiveness but not foolishly able to approach opportunities. And that has been uh, a bit of our, our success and uh, I think that will continue for us, ideally. Yeah. But again, 
I'm just the humble forklift driver. You're listening to Durable Value, an investor's podcast. We understand the world of commercial real estate can be daunting, but we want to make it as simple as possible for you. Get the free 56-point checklist for evaluating investment properties that Grisada Partners uses every day at grisadapartners.com guides. This is a show about investors and investing, and that means it's a show about people. Uh, so let's let's get into Casey as as the person for a little bit here. One thing I love about your story, and and I've loved in getting to know you, is uh, you tra- you know you're born in Galt. Uh, you often say I'm a humble forklift driver, and that's that's a key part of your story. You literally started as a forklift driver in a printing uh, company, and rose to president, and then rose to owner, and then began this. Reflect. Go back to the, the the kid in Galt for a minute, and and let's tell us about that kid, and tell us about which pe- part of that uh, helped build you into who you are today. Well, it's certainly not the path I would have predicted, and uh, it's a bit of circumstance and opportunity coming together over thirty five years. So it's uh, I like to say I'm a career incrementalist. So I. I actually started as a janitor, not even a forklift. I aspired to be a forklift driver. So <laughs> I started as a janitor, sweeping floors, and then I moved up through the ranks in a, in a printing company from being a, a teenager out of high school and moved through different roles. Uh, eventually, I became uh, spent a lot of time in customer service, so dealing with customers, dealing with internal folks, dealing with uh, creatives on the ad agency side to dealing with the $10 an hour person that's boxing and shrink wrapping off the end of a press. So uh, that that helped contribute to working with a lot of different people successfully, communicating with a lot of different people and recognizing that all these people are getting an organization or an enterprise to be successful. So I think there's some value to starting from the bottom up, if you will. Uh, but it's the long path. I prefer maybe an accelerated opportunity along the way, but it's worked out. And so as I've gone along and eventually I was a supervisor and then a manager, then eventually being, as you said, an executive and running a company, then ultimately buying in and being a business owner, all those have kind of come along with every few years being able to take an opportunity along the way and uh, ultimately getting to if you will, the business investor side, where I'm get, I get to sit with Joe Mortori and discuss this stuff that is it's kind of heady, right? I'm, getting here has been a long process, but if uh, all that time spent in printing, all that time spent in my industry is you acquire the knowledge and you have to allow yourself to put yourself in a position where you can take that knowledge, take that experience and add value. So if you talk about an investor. How does an investor uh, create value? They have to bring value to an enterprise. So you have the ability to take properties and see what the potential is, how to incorporate your vision for uh, the potential for a property, and then work knowing enough to know who could be your prospective uh, tenants and how you're going to change the nature of a, of a seasoned property, a mature piece of, of real estate to attract new tenants and provide value for your, for your investors. That's, that's, I believe, what you do. Um, for me, I'm taking my print experience and then 
then later business and management experience. And then that's where ultimately to be a business owner, I add value. Mm -hmm. So then bringing in other roll-ups, other companies into our mix, those add value to that enterprise. I add value to that enterprise. So tell us about that process. Um, I often think of things as a Ferris wheel and mm-hmm. that I, we see a building opportunity, we make contact, uh, there's an interaction, but there's never a deal right away. It, mm-hmm. So it goes on the Ferris wheel and it slowly works its way around. And you know, the phone may ring from time to time and mm-hmm. there's discussions, but m- maybe that analogy works for me, but tell me about your business. How do you, I mean, you've done how many acquisitions so far? We've done about five acquisitions. So you've done so, yeah. five acquisitions so yeah. far. Yeah. And built some others from scratch. And, so uh, the next five, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you look for these opportunities? I, I'm, how do you, what's that process like for you? And how do you know when something's the right fit? Well, it is the advantage of knowing your industry. And so that, that is a, that's not something to take for granted. So mm-hmm. having a, a deep knowledge of where you are, where your industry is and where there could be opportunities. I can certainly name off the top of my head the targets that I would have in my area, in my realm that I might target as opportunities. Now, I, uh, the latest deal that we did, which is we closed it just a year ago. We're actually coming up on a one-year anniversary acquiring, acquiring the company that we have consolidated all our operations into. But that was a vision knowing that that was a a place that was perhaps underperforming in a really large facility. So I could envision that as I could add value, acquire the company that could do more, but also as a place to bring our other operations and become more powerful. Mm -hmm. So it is recognizing, so you talk about the Ferris wheel, how do you get there? It is a conversation. It doesn't start with a phone call and a deal. You're working on a letter of intent within the next 30 days. It's a process. Some, Mm -hmm. Some folks are ready to sell and their books are set up easily, they are organized, they want to sell, they know they want to exit. Some are, you're approaching them and they haven't really thought about it purely enough to have their, their business organized, built to sell. That's a phrase we, we hear in the EO environment, right? Built to sell. Some, some companies are built to sell, they're ready to go, they just need to determine what's the best deal to get what they need out of it and what you need to make the deal work. Um, the best way to approach each one is to approach each one differently. So in my case, I'm, I'm in a business where now I've been at it long enough. We've, we have a successful track record that if I approach a, the owner of a printing or a mailing company, we have a track record of success so that if we enter into a deal where we put some money down up front, but we're making a seven, eight, ten-year deal down the road, I have enough track record to know that that guy's pretty assured I'm going to end up paying him in year 10. Yeah. He doesn't have to worry about it, right? We're, we're, we're going to be here. I've got enough, uh, uh, enough success to build on mm-hmm. to make those make sense. So the deals get easier once you've had a track record of assembling. Not like, not like any different than anyone joking to say the first million is the hardest. That's, that is the truth. Once you've done it, it's easier to, you have credibility to get a deal done. It's easier for you perhaps to attract investors because you have a track record of showing your success. Yeah. I have a track record of build, buying companies and then building them up and paying the owner over time because we're, we're very, uh, we've been able to be very successful of not putting a lot of personal guarantees. So we're not jeopardizing one deal with an over leverage or a position where if one company were to collapse or not make it, it doesn't pull down the rest of them. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of work done on the, 
through the process of buying a company from someone that's built it up from scratch or built that's their life they're selling you in my business they're selling you their life's work they're, yeah. they've built this this is their exit plan so you need to be respectful of that yeah. and come up with a plan that's going to work for them uh, in the near term as well as the long term and we've enough we have enough of a track record I have enough of a track record and credibility in industry that I've been at since I was a, a teenager in this same area in my geography that it starts to make sense. And then the efficiency starts to come as we roll up operations that can complement each other. And we're at a point where we're really, uh, even in a tough environment, in a, there aren't, in a tough, I say a tough business, but every business is tough, right? Every, yeah. every business has challenges. So anyone that says uh, there, are, there aren't any easy businesses. So it just happens to be these are the challenges of, of printing. It's a bit of a, it's a contracting environment. Uh, but there's still opportunities. When you say it's contracting, uh, on the demand side, I guess, how much yeah. is it contracting per year? Uh, yeah. Does it go to zero, or is, is I, this a, well, I guess a steady sort of thing? Hopefully not. Uh, hope, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not, I, I like to say I'm not training my 18-year-old son to become a printer, so I don't need it to last forever, but there will be enough. Print will continue to be part of marketing, part of communications. The, it, for quite a while, and I'll be there. We can continue to adjust our companies and some of the focus and build on our relationships, but I'm really not, we're pointedly not building a company and a collection of companies uh, into an enterprise that we're going to sell to somebody. Uh, we're doing this for a sustainable operation, and that, that gives us some flexibility as well. We can make investments for the long term. I can make things, this may not pay back for three more years uh, in an equipment move or a, cons- a yeah. business consolidation because I don't need to cash this out. I'm not planning to cash this out right away. This is not something I need to walk away from. We're building it in a successful manner so we can be here for a long time. And you rattled off all those companies. We're, we're actually putting it under one company now called Delta Print Group, which is a bit of a branding mechanism, but eventually the companies will roll up into that. But each one is different. We've got, a, we've got two C-Corps, uh, an S-Corp, a few LLCs, a lot of mix of complexity in there. And uh, again, I'm just a humble forklift driver from Galt. So, You're a train you know, killer, man. I, yeah, <laughs> I am. But we can be a predator in there. Perhaps, uh, you know, if, if people don't see us coming, there's, that, that could be an advantage. I, I mean that in the kindest way. Uh, that's okay. I, I respect that about you. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, so, uh, so I, I see you, uh, I feel like I've felt a kinship with you for a long time. I, I think of you as a contrarian investor. Mm-hmm. Often we look at where the herd's going on, on buildings. Right. And we go the opposite way. We figure if everyone's thinking it's time to buy industrial, well, let's look at multifamily or let's even look at retail, the right pieces of retail. Mm-hmm. But I see with your business, uh, everyone heads towards digital marketing. Everyone heads towards anything with the word digital in it. Yeah. And Casey says, okay, I'll just buy all the printing companies because they cash flow and I, I can build a, a, you know, a scalable enterprise around this. And it, and it is always about the deal. So one of the advantages in print the multiples are not crazy. So yeah. they're manageable. And uh, I'm going to buy a business that's going to pay for itself. I'm not, looking, I'm not going to dump a huge amount of money into it and then fingers crossed that in the next five years I get my money back. We're setting it up. There'll, there'll be an initial investment, but it is, yeah. it will, it's got to contribute. It's got to contribute back to paying for itself uh, right away. So, and if you, if you know the business well enough and you can recognize how it might fit, in my case, it might fit into the realm of what we're already offering, then it's complement. I can see the value comes along because we're able to roll it up into, into the environment, the printing environment in our case, 
it's, it's an additive part because we understand it pretty thoroughly, very thoroughly. Yeah. I, I will joke about that, but a lifetime, I'll eventually tell my mom what I do for a living now that I'm a printer. But, you know, I don't brag about it. it it's, a, it's a business, uh, but it is uh, uh, being a manufacturer in California, and that's really what we are. It's a challenge. So it's not the easiest thing to be a manufacturer in an, in, uh, an environment that doesn't value or make that a number one priority. But again, that means there's fewer people attracted to it, just like you said, as a contrarian part. Being in business and having a, a bunch of employees in California, that's a challenge. But yeah. it's okay. It means that there's fewer people willing to take on that challenge. How, how are you... Um... You know, we live in a sort of black swan age, I recently read, which is like this event just happened and things changed. Mm-hmm. Has there been any shift to your industry or how you view the world or uh, how you're investing uh, in light of coronavirus? Uh, it, it certainly brings home uh, that you can't predict what might happen. Uh, we do a lot of pieces. We do a lot of printing for the health insurance industry. A lot of that is driven by regulatory requirements. The reality is that I recognize that with the stroke of a pen, the governor or a regulator or something could change dramatically where some of our business or some of our incomes comes from, some of our revenue. Uh, in the same way that the coronavirus affected, froze up anything marketing related. So yeah. we print for casinos. That stopped. We, we do, uh, all of that went away. But then we're printing, because of the mix of our client base, I'm printing COVID notices for um, for the legislature, and I, I won't, it won't be surprising, but most legislators, legislators are anti-coronavirus. So they've taken a strong stance against COVID-19. So they just want to be able to mail that notice out to their constituents. I haven't met anyone yeah. who's pro-coronavirus. I know. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're taking a strong stance. As a contrarian, you might decide to be pro-coronavirus. <laughs> so there is a, the contrarian side is just the reality of my business, right? Yeah. So maybe that, I could say I'm contrarian, but by circumstance, I'm in a business that could be considered contrarian. I'll lead with one last question, which is, uh, who, who have been some of your heroes over the years? Um, do you have any heroes in this business? Is there anyone, these might have been people you worked with, these mm-hmm. might have been people you read, these, I, I don't know. But who, who in the last 35 years uh, has altered the way you've thought or inspired you to a different outcome? We were just talking about that among family, my brother, and uh, I grew up kind of a, a bit of a broken family, so my brothers and I live with different family members, and I spent most of my youth, my young life, uh, working on my grandfather's ranch. I had a small ranch near Galt, so I uh, like to say you had to do chores before the bus came So at 7 a.m., and you had to be out there or it drove away and left you, and you didn't get to school without some, some work. Um, so every, there was always something to be done on, in a ranch. And if you look at a small rancher or farmer, that's a small business. There's always something to do and always something that needs to be done. And that you don't recognize, perhaps I take that for granted, that, that uh, that's the environment I was growing up in, but there was always something to be done. So that, I think, is what probably propels even if I have, if I'm undereducated for where I've overachieved relative to education, it is recognizing that there's always something to be done and that's been a benefit for us. So if I looked at, probably say my grandfather, just from a, mm-hmm. uh, an example of just continuing to keep working and keep working and head down and 
you can outwork most people. Uh, that's, everyone has the ability to outwork most of their, most of their uh, um, competitors, if you will. Great. Casey, thank you for your time and right. your inspiration. And I look forward to knowing you for many years to come and watching the trajectory of your business and your life. So thank you. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Durable Value, an investor's podcast, where we demystify commercial real estate with safe, sound investment strategies to help you balance your portfolio. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more, visit grisetapartners.com, where you'll find more information, investor's tools, case studies, and more. This podcast is hosted by Joe Miratori and Ryan Suela. It's produced, edited, and mixed by Melodic with intro music by Ian Post. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.